You are listening to The Alien Chronicles. I want to sit in my mom's lap right now. It's what makes us different. <laughs> I went on every single door until someone told me yes. Well, I'd have to have at least one book. Every human has like a similar core. Get out there and meet as many people as I can. So for 800,000 DACA recipients, also called dreamers, the fear of being deported anytime is confusing and chaotic. For those listeners who do not know what DACA is, it's the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, a program which was launched during President Obama's first term in June 2012 to provide reprieve from deportation to young people who came to the United States as children. Though DACA does not give official legal status or a pathway to citizenship to these individuals, it allows them to be legally present in the country and to have access to work permit without the threat of being deported. In today's divisive climate, this is one issue that, in my opinion, unites the country. Majority of Americans, two-thirds according to an NPR poll that was done in early 2018, want DREAMers to have a legal status in the U.S. So we can safely call this a bipartisan issue of our times, yet Trump administration rescinded the program in 2017 and left these young people in legal limbo. Our today's guest was a DACA recipient and is now US permanent resident, but she fears for many others in her community. Kelly Izike is an activist who is fighting for the rights of all, but especially those of the dreamers through advocacy and community outreach. She works at Global Network of Women Peacebuilders, a civil society organization working on women's rights. We will talk to Kelly about DACA and a lot more. Welcome to the second episode of The Alien Chronicles. I'm your host, Sadia. Welcome, Kelly, to our show. Thank you so much, Sadia, for having me here. I'm so glad you could make it. So, Kelly, how old were you when you came to the U.S.? I was nine years old, and it was back in 2000. And where did you move from? I am originally from Peru, so I lived there all my life until I was nine, and then that's when my parents decided to move. Can you share some childhood memories of your initial interactions with people and friends when you moved here? At first, I had a really hard time at school because I wasn't fluent in English. And although in my community where I would move to, it was predominantly Latino, the children there, like most of them were American-born citizens. So it was hard for me to make friends at the beginning because I didn't know the language and I was seen as odd or awkward. I would get made fun of a lot when I was young just because I didn't know the language, so I didn't know what they were saying. So, I, But I, you can tell when somebody's making fun of you, hmm. you know? Hmm. So that was my first interaction. And then with teachers too, I don't know because I didn't know the language, but I experienced a lot of kind of like pushback from teachers and it was a lot... They thought that I wasn't smart enough because I didn't mm. know the language. And I even had an experience where I had a teacher call me out and when I first arrived and just like, I basically tell her the times table as fast as I could mm. and just to see, I guess, my level. But then I told her like math is universal. Like, you know, <laughs> if anything, I'm probably more advanced than to have the kids here in math because the um, Peruvian education system is pretty good. So what was the biggest cultural shock to you coming from Peru? Mm. 
Well, in Peru, we're like very family oriented. And I think as well with your culture, Sadia, mm-hmm. like we're all just family oriented. So we like eat dinner together. We lunch together. So one of the first shock was that here, nobody like ate together. Everybody yeah. had, <laughs> either was doing their own thing. And then my parents were working very long hours. So we didn't really get to see each other as much. So it became very individualistic. So everybody was like to fend for themselves. That's true. I, I think that's true for my culture. Yeah. And as you as you said, we are very family oriented. And anybody who comes from outside U.S. finds it difficult to adjust mm-hmm. to that individualistic society initially. So Kelly, where did you move to in U.S.? What part? I moved to Long Island, uh, Brentwood in Long Island. So is there a large Latino community there? Yeah, so the thing about Brentwood is that it is mostly Latino. I think it's about like over 90% Latino. All the shops there, there are Spanish-speaking shops. All, all of them are like immigrant-based business owners. So you kind of have to know Spanish to live in, in Brentwood. So it's a very different situation. So, But then it's surprising yeah. because if there is such a large community, yeah. then people would already be you know they it would have been easy it should have been easier yeah. for people to understand where you're coming from yeah. because they already have a huge population that's from latin america mm-hmm. but growing up yeah. like for you and your family how did you reconcile between peruvian culture and american culture yeah so for me at first i kind of because the thing about it when there was like a big latino community and they yeah. should be supportive it's always about like who got here first and there's oh. always that kind of like new immigrants versus older immigrants so the people or the kids who come to this country at a later age or they're older or if they're coming here after like i don't know 2000s they're seen as like new immigrants so oh. for me it was even when i went to high school and like i was fluent in english we would still make like there was people that will still make fun of the kids that didn't know english and now we just yeah. arrived to the united states and and even within ourselves like we're latinos and we're calling them racial slurs yeah right and and we're like trying to differentiate ourselves from them because we're like not the new immigrants we're like the older immigrants we already established our life here so for me it was about that so having that pressure in school of like you are different because you came from another country but you're not like them anymore so i was trying to really like separate my identity so try to throw away my peruvianness my immigrantness and try to really fit in with more of the u.s born kids in my school Mm -hmm. so when i was growing up i just didn't want to be known as being an immigrant at all. I would lie sometimes saying that I was born in the U.S. because I was so ashamed because people would make me feel like you would be less than or being perceived as less than if you were not born in the United States. You know, but that's, I think, so true because we see that even now, Mm -hmm. immigrants who are who came a few generations Mm -hmm. um, before we came, Mm -hmm. they treat us differently. And I think through this podcast, the idea is to change those perceptions Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, most of us are immigrants. In fact, all of us are immigrants. Uh, There are like 43 million immigrants in US right now who were not born in the US. Mm -hmm. So, and they're from all over the world, Mm -hmm. but somehow the perception of immigrants nowadays is stereotypical, somebody with thick accent, brown skin. And I think immigrants are misconstrued in this Mm -hmm. country right Mm -hmm. now. So did you find it hard to assimilate in US, like as you were growing up, like Mm -hmm. initial years I understand were difficult for you, but later on, did it become easier? For me, I think as I grew older, I was able to fit in more and it was easier for me. One, because I already know the language. And to just the culture itself, like I was just able to, a lot of my interests kind of aligned with everyday kids' interests. And mm. I saw myself 
when it came to like my family in, in Peru, like and the and my cousins who were the same age as me when I left, our interests kind of started to like be different. And it was mm-hmm. I was a lot more Americanized, I think you can say, <laughs> as I grew older. But I also as I grew older, I started to identify more with my Peruvian side. I stopped kind of being ashamed of it and embracing it more. So I think growing up and seeing that you really make America, the term American, whatever you want it to be. And it's not just a one set standards of, I guess, what people think American mm. is, right? Mm. So American is what you make it. And what mm. and for me, American is being both Peruvian and American, but also like having a thick accent or not having an accent at all or saying words differently than other people, so. That's so true, Kelly. So we have to talk DACA. Yeah. Has anyone you know other than yourself, yeah. now you are a US permanent yeah. resident, been affected by DACA? Mm-hmm. And how are they dealing with the current situation? For me, DACA was always like a Band-Aid solution. I always thought it was like a compromise that the Obama administration had to Mm -hmm. do because they had four years to pass immigration reform and they didn't. So I think DACA was just kind of like, let's put a Band-Aid over this big problem and let's Mm -hmm. really target the, I guess, more desirable immigrants. Those are like going to school and they're young Mm -hmm. and can contribute to society. And, you know, those are educated. So for me, it was that. So then when I was always expecting, once the elections happened, I was always expecting for it to be overturned or overruled because it was never meant to be a permanent solution. So a lot of people that I know are affected, are affected by the fact that they live their lives in limbo. They don't know Mm. if one day they'll be able to work, the next day they don't. They live in fear that they're providing for their families. Most of them are the breadwinners for their families because they're able to reach now these higher position jobs because most of them have Mm. uh, degrees. So... For them, it's like one day you have everything, you have a house, you have a car, and you have a good job, and then the next day you can't even contribute anymore. So it not only just affects you economically, but mentally too, because Mm -hmm. you're like with the strain of like, how am I going to survive? How am I going to live? And although, yeah, we have been able to survive before without DACA, like I was able to, you know, find a way to survive without DACA, it just makes it much harder to go back into the shadows after you've come out. Yeah, and I think when we look at the profile of DACA recipients, Mm -hmm. most of them are educated, Mm -hmm. most of them are entrepreneurial. So we see that they Mm -hmm. are, and they're young, and they Mm -hmm. will contribute to the economy. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that with all immigrants, Mm -hmm. not just DACA recipients. Mm -hmm. Why don't we make an economic argument about Mm -hmm. immigration and Mm -hmm. immigrants? Because I think we see that those who make a counter argument about immigration will make an economic argument, Mm -hmm. which to me is crazy because mm-hmm. if you look at immigrants as a whole, they are contributing a lot more mm-hmm. to the economy. They mm-hmm. are considered engine for innovation mm-hmm. and economic prosperity in US. If we just look at statistics, there are 27.5% of immigrants who are entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. although they constitute only 13% of the total population. Mm-hmm. There was a Harvard Business School study done which shows that immigrant-led businesses, they are likely to last long-term versus Mm -hmm. those businesses that were led by people born in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we can understand is because immigrants have this growth mindset. Like Mm -hmm. somebody who leaves their country of origin and moves across the world or wherever they're coming from or are taking those risks have that mentality Mm -hmm. of, you know, being risk-prone. So why don't we make this economic argument? Why do we always make a moral argument? Although I agree that moral argument is important. And what do you think would be the downside of making an economic argument? For me, I have my reservations about the economic argument because again, like I don't want to be seen as 
but I guess the United States is a capitalist society, right? So we have to kind of play into the capitalist structure. But I don't want to be just be seen as re- as a resource. I mm. want to be seen as a human being. I am an American. I don't. I before like I didn't have a piece of paper that told me I was an American, but I, I still consider myself an American. Mm. So for somebody to tell me, you know, you have to contribute this much to society to be worthy of being an American, I don't think is mm. fair because I've lived my entire life here. I've contributed in many ways. Maybe it was not financially, but it could have been socially and with my advocacy. And I don't think we put the same restrictions on American citizens yeah. at all like you know and I don't and I don't think it should be like a merit-based system at all either I think if you're here with intentions of improving your life I think you should be given the chance and I know it's hard for people to understand like those are anti-immigrant like the moral argument doesn't work for them so that's why you have to come up with the economic argument which I think it's worth it but even then like they have really misconceived notions of immigrants like they think we're just taking advantage of social programs, which we're not even eligible for, or, or, you know, and there's nothing wrong if you are in a social program, because I think the government should be helping out lower income families, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. But I'm just saying, like, there's just misconceived notions. And even if you tell them that, I don't think they believe it. They still think that we're not, we're not even contributing. So are dreamers being used as political pawns by both political Mm -hmm. parties, the Democrats and Republicans? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, one, the Democrats haven't had the backbone to stand up to the Republicans' rhetoric. And I think that that is really wrong because they are using us as a thing to gain votes and to gain sympathy for their causes. And they seem to align with our our (laughs) message. But then when it comes to actual legislation and pushing for something to happen and reform, it doesn't happen. Then they give up so easily. So for me, it's both like, yeah, the Republicans put up these crazy reforms or crazy policies that really Mm. attack us, but then the Democrats don't do much to stop them. Mm. So to me, it's like, what are we really looking for? And I kind of am a little bit tired of these, you know, centrist Democrats that are just willing to go with the status quo. So I'm really more now interested in the more progressive Democrats and making sure they're actually there to make an impact because that's what we really need, people that are willing to shake the system. That's true because I feel like, and I think it is true for many immigrants, Mm. not all probably, but I am also leaning more towards left-leaning Democrats Mm -hmm. because of the agenda that Mm -hmm. they are pushing. And I think that's the kind of America that I envision. Mm -hmm. And those are all common sense changes. Like I, to me, those are basic human rights when we talk about universal health care or free education are the rights that individuals should have so i have um, midterms are coming yeah only two days away so when when we air this episode we would know the results yeah but we can only hope right uh, what the results would be i have an interesting question for you so majority of hispanics are religious They are family-oriented and socially conservative, which makes them better aligned with the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Yet politically, they seem to be getting more support from Democrats, again, relatively speaking. Yeah. <laughs> how does the community decide? And what do you think, how should they decide? And how do you decide? Well, I always have this joke in my family where we say, like, if immigration wasn't a Latino issue, which it's not, because anybody could be an immigrant, then we would vote Republican because the older generation is a lot more conservative Mm. and they lean more to these conservative values. But I think that the way things are being moved and changed, they're making them more progressive and more open-minded. Like within my family, before we would never even talk about like sexual reproduction and the rights of women because mm-hmm. it was just the thought that women were born to have babies. Yeah. Right? But now like my mom and my family and my grandma, they just have open discussions about 
seeing women as just more as being just reproductive actors in society, right? So things like that. I think with the times, people's minds are changing. And then the younger generation of Latinos, Latinas, are, they just are more forward-thinking and they're open to these changes and they're really pushing for these changes and also to include other social issues that may not be in the Latinos' radars. And is this point of view mm. more common in, in the community yeah. right now or do you think it's still limited to a few families or yeah. a few individuals? No, I think, well, it depends what Latino community you're talking about because, mm. you know, as we know, not all Cubans, but a lot of Cubans are more Republican-leaning. Mm. And I think just has to do with their own historical background. Mm. But I think for our my community, I think we're just tired. We're exhausted mm. of the messaging. We're tired of the of the criticism. And we're really just tired of the attacks. And all these attacks are coming from the Republican side. Mm. So for us, it's, it's saying, okay, they say these things about us. They say that we're lazy, mm. that we're drug criminals, that we're drug addicts. So why should we support them? At the end of the day, I think it becomes a community issue. It becomes like you're attacking one group of us, so we are all going to join mm. in type of thing. So I think that's where we come from. And nowadays, there's a lot of politics around migrant yeah. caravan, yeah. right? Again, these individuals are being persecuted yeah. in their own countries exactly. and they have the right to seek asylum. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the rhetoric around yeah. this, it's sad, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Do you think individuals dehumanize others to make themselves feel superior? And is that what's happening in the yeah. US right now? Definitely. I think the caravan is a good example. They're using fear-mongering tactics just to pin one group of people against another mm. so you know like you say that there's this thing about immigration and then people are saying oh i don't i don't mind immigration as long as it's legal and they do the right way but they are doing it the right way the caravan of full of migrants with children and women they're doing it the right way they're coming to a port of entry and they're asking for asylum that's how you do it that is a legal <laughs> way they're legally doing it the way they're supposed to be doing it but there's people in the media that continues to talk about you know there's young men there and they're of military age but then what does military age mean 18 to 45 but that doesn't mean they're actually military trained so it's like all these different messages that we're getting from them that I think it's just to, one, is create fear within the American society and also like this idea of like they're invading your country. But then again, like the United States has never been a homogenous society. It has always not, been yeah. based on the fact that we invite people and we welcome people. We welcome the poor, the hungry, you know, the poor. And so why can't we do that with other people just because they're not white and they're brown? Yeah, that's true, because I think you talked about legal immigration. Mm -hmm. I think it's not that, because we've seen controversy around birthright citizenship right now. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's legal versus illegal. I think at the end of the day, it's who you want to come to your country right mm -hmm. now, and it boils down to your skin color. Mm -hmm. So do you think America is racist? I think the systems in America are racist. I think that America hasn't, or the United States of America, hasn't gone back and reconcile with this past. You know, it has a very racist past. This country was built on slavery. The White House was built by slaves. And even, you know, just to make room for settlers, you had the tra Trail of Tears where Native Americans were displaced in their own homes. Like they were just displaced because we needed more space for, mm. for settlers. So to me, the United States doesn't reconcile back. It always is always kind of shown as these historical events happened mm. and that's it. And it happened and they ended and that's it. And now everything should be fine now. But I don't think anything has has done has happened to really 
reverse the damage that it has been done already to minorities that have been here for hundreds and hundreds of, of mm-hmm. years. So yeah, I believe America has racist policies, racist structures, and it's always okay to say that. I think mm. people say, because you're criticizing the, the government, you must not love the country. But that's not true. I think criticism and making sure that you want the government to represent all of us equally shouldn't be something that's seen as un-American. I think it's pretty American to criticize. I think it is patriotic to criticize. Mm, yeah. Unless you want to be in a country ruled by dictators uh-huh. where you cannot really criticize. Mm-hmm. And to your point about reconciliation, that's so true mm-hmm. because, so I went to college here, not school, mm-hmm. but I've heard and I've like seen my own kids' curriculum. I think it's extremely important that America recognizes its racist past mm-hmm. and, and teaches its kids and There has to be a learning process Mm -hmm. where you learn from that and move on. Unless you recognize it and learn from it, we will see these issues in future. And that's what's, I think, happening right now. So if you were to describe America in one word, Kelly, what would it be? I would say hope. Hope because I think that although we're not perfect, I think that we can get really close to being inclusive for everybody. I I think that a lot of people living in the United States have been so welcoming and so open-hearted and there is a lot of allies and there is a lot of minority groups that have gone through the same discrimination. But I think that we're tired of it and I think that there are going to be changes. And we have seen changes. We have seen Mm -hmm. changes happen in very, very short periods of time. Like same-sex marriage became legal Mm -hmm. under the Obama administration. So things happen. Things can happen. So I am hopeful that one day we can get there where all of us are living together in harmony but then also we are like you said reconciling back to our past Mm. because it's not about just oh let's go back and this is what we did really wrong but we don't do it anymore but it's more of okay we did this very very wrong and these are the effects that it had on people for years to come Mm. and so we need to really open the dialogue and have these really uncomfortable conversations that a lot of americans don't want to have and for that i think we do need change makers Mm -hmm. like you and maybe media, mm-hmm. because I feel like media perpetuates stereotypes. Mm-hmm. It does that in case of Muslims. Yeah. And I think it does that in case of other ethnicities and yeah. cultures as well. Mm-hmm. I was reading about this movie that came out recently called Peppermint. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm glad it has only 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it makes me really happy because it was, I've read the reviews and it's an extremely racist yeah. movie. Yeah. And that's where media comes in. Mm -hmm. What do you think? How can media make a difference? And what do you think they should do? I think they should stop obsessing over all the horrible stories that come out. Mm -hmm. I think they should really focus on the success stories. Mm -hmm. I think it's much easier to really have a narrative about people confronting the challenges that were put in place and Mm -hmm. that they were able to achieve and overcome those challenges than saying they live in a really bad neighborhood so this is what happened to them so i think that that's one thing they can do another one is to look at people stop looking at people through one lens so Mm -hmm. you know muslims as i hate this word but as terrorists yeah and latinos as drug dealers Mm -hmm. or latinas as sexual beings and sexual Mm -hmm. objects or Native American, sorry, uh, African-Americans as just super predators mm. or, uh, you know, so I think we need to stop thinking about people in one lens. I think there is, when you have a group of people, there's good and there's bad. Yeah. You're at anywhere, anywhere you have them. So I think we need to start looking at people at who they are by their moral character and stop really just kind of stereotyping one entire community for one action of a few. I recently came across this term, 
which describes so normally we we say latinos or latinas mm-hmm. and i came across this term called latinx mm-hmm. it is a gender neutral term mm-hmm. and it moves beyond gender binaries yeah. basically and it is being used more and more mm-hmm. now my question to you is do you think that the term itself is an adequate representation mm-hmm. of who latinos are as a group yeah. is it more inclusive yeah. and also sometimes i feel these terms are coined without keeping in mind the culture nuances mm-hmm. and sometimes people may not like these terms yeah. what is your take on this term yeah so for me latinx is a term to be inclusive like you said of queer folks of mm. people non-binary or people that don't identify with anything because this is who we are latinos latinas latinx people we might identify with either or or with nothing right mm. we're human beings i think that happens with any group but again when you talk about the cultural nuance there has been a lot of pushback because mm. this term is being seen as kind of like american like yeah. an american term because again like the spanish language is very binary so it's mm. like female or male when you speak about something but at the end of the day when you are like fighting over how to say something grammatically correct mm-hmm. or not i think at the end of the day it doesn't really matter because even spanish itself is a colonizer's language and it was yeah. a language thrown upon us the you know i am from peru so 90% of us are of indigenous blood or descent so it's not like it wasn't our language to begin yeah. with it was a language that was brought to us by the colonizers so for us to really be fighting over how to properly pronounce colonizers <laughs> language i don't think it should be something that matters should matter So Kelly if you could change one thing about America what would it be I think it would be discrimination and mm. I think it would be the fact that I think discrimination and racism is kind of coded in America in the United States. Mm. Do you think it's it's coded anymore? I uh, think it's pretty out in no, the open. No, I think it's pretty out in the open, but I think <laughs> I want to do call out like liberals that like are still using coded language yeah. and they don't really see it. And I think this is actually a really great movie that I like Get Out it really shows mm. how mm. you know yes. how liberals can be white liberals and you know you want to be allies which is great, but you need to really be like conscious of who you're talking to. Really give the spotlight and the limelight to these minority groups and the voices that they're saying because they're the ones that are suffering. I know you want to be allies, but I think as being an ally you need to just be look back and and sit back and and just yeah. watch and be a spectator instead of a of a leader. So I think that's one thing I I wouldn't want to change about the United States is that to start looking at minority groups not as puppets and not just as tokens, but as people that can deliver change on their own and give them the opportunities and the platforms to do that. And for that we need to vote, right? Yes. Please guys get out and vote. It yeah. is so important. It is your right and you have to vote this time. It's yeah. I think this is one of the most important elections. Yeah. So please do do go out and vote. Yeah, vote. I mean, I cannot vote yet. I am not able to vote. So do it for us that cannot do it. Yeah. If I even though even if you don't believe in the institutions, even if you don't believe that your vote matters, do it for those that can't. Do it yeah. for the, you know, your friend, your family. I know you have somebody that you might not be able to vote yes. and that these issues really they suffer from the issue. So just do it for them. I think that mm-hmm. that was the wise way the best way to put it. And lastly, if you could change yeah. one misconception about immigrants, yeah. what would that be? I think the biggest misconception is that we want to take over, that we are here to like <laughs> just take over the culture, but then again like going back to my point of what American is, there is no standard. Yeah. So bring in your your food, your language, your culture. That's what makes you American. You in in the way that 
that you define it. That's what America is. So, so to me, it's just that it's the misconception is that we want to take over everything that our our cultures are too strong and they don't fit into the standards. But there's no standards. There's never been standards for for what American culture is. And other cultures felt this, like yeah. Irish when they came, yeah. Italian when they came, yeah. and. What surprises me is that they went through this. Yeah. What you and I are going through yeah. now. Yeah. So why can't they support us yeah. in this? Because they would understand it a lot more than others. Before we end our interview, I would like to ask you some fun questions. Sure. So we will do our <laughs> rapid fire round. So if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? It's a Peruvian dish. Okay. It's called causa, and it's basically kind of like a pie, but like with potatoes. <laughs> oh my god! I have tried this one. Okay. Name three things on your bucket list. Going to Ireland, which I think I'm going in December if I get my visa. I actually want to write a book. Oh, nice! Yeah, I don't know what yet, but we'll see. <laughs> and then I want to go to the Louvre in Paris. Ah, right, it's in Paris. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> and I said those three things. If you could have any superpower, what would you want? I actually want to read people's mind. I want to know what they're thinking. Oh, me too. Yeah, I just oh want to know. Oh my god, this is so true. I want to do that. But do you think it would be like? I don't know. It may be hurtful at it times, right? It would be hurtful, right? but I think it is good. I think it's transparent. It will like, yeah. ensure that there's no miscommunication because you already know what they're thinking. <laughs> Your biggest failure. My biggest failure. I think I don't think anything I've done is a failure. I think mm. even if I see it as a failure when I was younger, I think I grew from it. So I wouldn't say anything that I've done is a failure. Your biggest achievement. I think my biggest achievement was getting into college and being the first person to go to college in my in my in my family. Yeah, describe yourself in three words. Shy, introvert. You don't sound shy. I, Kelly. I am very shy. Uh, only because you're my friend, so I'm very <laughs> very comfortable with you. So shy, shy, introvert, and family oriented. What's the best piece of advice you ever got? For my mom, she always told me never to say never, and that I could do anything I put my mind to. Your idea of vacation. Anywhere that I can read and just be quiet, even if it's cold. I like anywhere that's cold. I don't yeah. like the heat, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm like that too because I grew up in Pakistan. So for me, I just like cold weather. Yeah, I love cold. Um, your all-time favorite movie? The Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's all three of them. <laughs> I can't pick. Who's the last person you texted? You. Oh, you did. <laughs> Instagram or Twitter? Twitter. Netflix or TV? Netflix. Best Peruvian restaurant in NYC. Ah, uh, Panca. Uh, P A N C A is pretty good. Favorite emoji. Ah, uh, the peace sign. Pie or cake. Cake. Pancakes or waffles. Pancakes. Tea or coffee. Tea. Ah, oh, tea. Really? Yeah. Tea. I thought you would have said coffee. I don't no, know why. I don't oh. like coffee that much. Home is where my family is. Thank you so much, Kelly, for a very productive and thought-provoking discussion. And I would like to thank all the listeners for joining us today. And please subscribe to our podcast. We are on nine platforms now, including Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher. We really need your support to sustain this podcast. Also, if you have a story to share or any new ideas, please contact us at thealienchronicles@gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is. at aliens chronicle and you can find us on instagram at the alien chronicles please stay tuned for our next episode when we will bring to you another immigrant story and in the meantime stay connected
We hope you guys enjoyed our special edition. I would like to thank all the listeners for joining us today and those who have supported us. And if you haven't still supported us or subscribed to us, please do. It's extremely important for us in order for us to sustain our pod, we need your support. And if you have a story to tell or any new ideas, please contact us at alienchronicles@gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at @chroniclesalien and you can find us on Instagram at @alienchronicles. And if you want to know more about Eric, please check out his work on openroadsmedia.org or for more info about his pod, go to latitudeadjustmentpod.com. Please stay tuned for our next episode when we will bring to you another amazing story and in the meantime stay connected.